2: You know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cashback events, and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Graduation is a sweet occasion, but finding the perfect gift can be a bitter struggle. MMS.com has a solution.
4: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30 day trial.
2: It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg.
0: Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day, Canada, the next day, Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week, we come to you from Palm Beach, Florida, and the Cultural Council of Palm Beach. And for those of you who think that Palm Beach is nothing but Worth Avenue and Mar-a-Lago, think again. There is so much here that promotes art and culture, so much history here dating back to the beginnings of America when you think about it. And of course, the, the railroads, the museums, the art. My next guest is truly a local. She's been here, well, almost since day one, even though she's not really from here. She was born in Phoenix, but came here when she was nine. Uh, She actually is the senior editor at the Palm Beach Post and the author of a number of books on the history of Palm Beach County, including including the Palm Beach County 100, Our History, Our Home. Jan Tuckwood, how are you?
5: I'm great. Thanks for having me.
0: So you've seen all the changes.
5: I've seen all the changes, and I love the history of the area. I came here when I was nine, as you said, and... I actually grew up grew up right around the corner from where you are sitting. And yeah, you used, when, used uh, to come watch movies, right? I watch yeah. movies in this building. You're sitting, the Cultural Council is in the Old Lake Theater. So this building was built in the, I think, 1930. It's an Art Deco building. It's one of the most spectacular parts of our Art Deco architecture tour here.
0: Exactly. And, you know, part of Palm Beach has not changed at all. Right. Which I guess is, is the good thing. Right. And part of it, you you are dealing with growth.
5: Right. We are. We are. I like to focus on the best of both of those things because I've written so many history books. I just love the history, and I'm so glad you came to Palm Beach this year because this year is the 125th anniversary of when Henry Flagler's train first pulled into Palm Beach. So in 1894, that was the year Palm Beach was founded, basically. His first hotel was built then. He brought the train here. West Palm Beach was founded then. And we still have little treasures of that history that are still here, and you can find them. And, of course, we have all the hip new things, too, like a food, food hall and, you know, groovy coffee shops. Oh, I the food
0: hall I've been to, it's great. It is. It's
5: very cool. Very, very cool. cool.
0: And, of course, the name Flagler is everywhere. Yes. Including oh, the Breakers.
5: Oh, well, everybody's got to go to the Breakers. You've got to go to the Breakers. It is the um, just a spectacular vision of what palm beach is and was i mean pump there is only one palm beach in the whole wide world you can be in the middle of moscow and say i'm from palm beach and people would know you and especially they know you now because president trump lives in palm beach
0: that's right and, and of course you never know when he's here yeah, yeah you oh, do well the we traffic, get warning the traffic slows down yes
5: we get a warning from the faa where we're glued to our faa radios he's coming in at 5 p.m quick clear southern boulevard you know you get stu- <laughs> stuck in a 45 minute traffic jam but, um, but he, he actually saved Mar-a-Lago, and he gave me a great interview right, right afterward for that history book. He was so proud of saving Mar-a-Lago. Mar-a-Lago is the only 1920s mansion that still exists with its entire property intact. Wow. So it's spectacular.
0: And, you know, you talk about Flagler and the train. Well, that train's not around anymore, but now you've got Brightline.
5: Yes. There you go. You can go all you know, pretty soon. Go to Orlando on Brightline.
0: Exactly. I, I've t- I've taken that Brightline train.
5: It's cool. It's nice. No, it's a- nice. And you know
0: what? Nobody ever thought people would use it, but they're using it.
5: I think it's because it's nice. It's kind of like a, a rendezvous you want to take, and not something you're forced like a forced commute. But yeah, it's nice.
0: For people who've never been here, what's the biggest surprise to them when they show up?
5: Well, I think. Um, It's a surprise, and it's not a surprise. It's absolutely a tropical paradise, so that is not a surprise. But when you go to places like, for instance, the Norton Art Museum, you see the tropics all around you because that building was built around a banyan tree, the renovation, which is a fabulous renovation by Lorne Norman Foster. But the museum has been there for 60 years, so the culture of this place has been here for decades because so many wealthy people come here, and they want the best things in life. I guess that's not surprising when you come to Palm Beach, but when you come to Palm Beach, you should experience the best of things.
0: But Palm Beach has always been to me, and this is a stereotype I know, yeah. old money.
5: Oh yes, but it's accessible to everybody. It's accessible to everybody. And that's a big message we try to get out to the at the Palm Beach Post. We have a newsletter, a travel newsletter called Day Trippin', which is has all the news of neat things to do that are current. And Everyone can go to the Breakers. I mean, every the Breakers is a public uh, public place. You can go and you can have a drink at the seafood bar just like uh, the richest guy in town. Just like Howard Stern. He's already always at HMF. He loves HMF. He does. Or, yes. He's always there with Beth during the season.
0: Mm. I love it. During the season.
5: During the season. Not so much there in the summer, but summer and fall are the Sometimes the best times to come here because well, the crowds a, are down and I'm, the discounts are great.
0: I'm a big fan of the offseason.
5: Yeah. The offseason is fabulous. You can get so, the break a breaker's room for like half price. Do it, let's do it.
0: So it's what you're telling me that during the off season they reduce things on Worth Avenue to retail?
5: <laughs> right. Yes. But you still have to look pretty good when you uh, show up there.
0: Oh, yeah, so You have to dress to shop. Yes,
5: exactly. Right? You have
0: to get ready. You actually, exactly. You actually have to prepare to shop You have Avenue. You
5: should. You should. Just wear your best cutoffs. Yeah.
0: You know what used to kick me? Just knock me out. The dogs on Worth Avenue. Oh, they're fabulous. Talking with Jan Tuckwood, the senior editor at the Palm Beach Post. That's right. Nice to know there's still, there's still journalism here.
5: There's great journalism here. We've got a fabulous investigative team. We've just won a bunch of awards from um, Sigma Delta Chi and a bunch of other groups. We're very proud of our journalism, right? right. We, we believe in the First Amendment. I was telling you that. We, we like capital J journalism here at Palm Beach and also what I call small J journalism, which like the great travel content. Exactly. Because it's a great place to live.
0: We were talking about Worth Avenue before. I tell my friends that there's something changing in America. I live in New York. I live in L.A. But in New York, if you walk up Madison Avenue from 50th Street to like 90th Street, every third store on Madison is now vacant.
5: I was just there. I was there last week. And And it really surprised. It It really, and every time I go go back to New York, about five times a year, uh, year, and it, it's fewer and fewer retail stores because the nature of shopping is changing, because now shopping has to become an experience, so a good shopping destination and and a relatively new renovation is the Royal Point Santa Plaza, which is, it goes by the name the Royal, and the Royal Point Santa Plaza is on the very spot of Flagler's Royal Point Santa Hotel that opened in 1894, but the Royal now has. A lot of expensive shops. Now, I don't know how many shoppers are, shoppers are in there, but I go over there to drink at the Honor Bar or for dinner at Palm Beach Grill or breakfast at St. Ambrose. They have a Palm Beach location of the New York spots. So,
0: spot so storefront retail is still alive and well here?
5: It is, it is. I wouldn't say... It's your definition of alive and well.
0: Uh, um, so are you trying to tell me if it's you, living but on life support?
5: No, well, we have very wealthy people here. Yes. So wealthy people will support. They will go to the uh Saint Laurent store they will go there we can have those stores in Palm Beach where you cannot have them say in the suburbs that's you know not as many of the people who can afford that
0: so you're one of the last bastions of uh upscale shopping
5: we are we are but as I said before Palm Beach the island is very accessible to everybody like I love to go to the Royal and look in the windows even though like the real real estate office Douglas Elliman is over there and there's a 135 million dollar estate for sale right now, so you can buy a Valentino scarf and then go buy your 135 million dollar estate. But all of us can walk over there and look in enjoy the window it. and look, <laughs> look in, in the, the window. window. <laughs> but the but it's right there on the Intercoastal, and you can sit there and have a cup of coffee, and you can go to Two J's at that plaza is right there and have a cup of chicken noodle soup. It doesn't cost you any more than five dollars, so it's for everybody.
0: And there are beaches that are accessible to yes. the public.
5: Oh, yes. I mean, actually, one of the one of the best Palm Beach beaches is off a beautiful street called Root Trail, which has a collection of little cottages um, that were built mostly in the early 1900s. And that's just four blocks north of the Breakers, a few blocks north of the Breakers. So people can. And of course, the main Palm Beach Beach is accessible. It's off Worth Avenue.
0: There are about, what, 1.4 million people in Palm Beach yes. County
5: and growing every day. It is growing. Yes, it is growing, yes. But you'll see most of the growth out west. Right now, we're in a huge growth cycle. So we've got like five developments coming up, being built now. So in 10 years, all five of those are bigger than the city of Lake Worth, where you're sitting right now. So that's in the central and western part of our county. We'll see tremendous population growth probably in the ne- within the next 10 years if we don't see another recession, which is always a
0: possibility. It's always a possibility. Yeah. But uh, come uh, part and parcel of the growth is... Are you planning to, to handle the traffic? Are you planning to, yeah, oh to widen yes. the roads? You, you know. Oh,
5: yes. That's all built in. And also uh, protecting the environment. The new developments have got so many more codes and guidelines and really to protect the natural areas that are there. And today's buyer wants to have the natural area nearby. They want to have those nature trails. So all these new developments have nature trails combined. And
0: Now, other than Air Force One landing at PBI. <laughs> right. Always all, fun. Always fun. But mm-hmm. forgetting that is the airport growing
5: the airport adds new carriers it does add new carriers every uh every year some come in and some go out i still love palm beach international airport better than just about any airport in florida now i also love the sarasota airport it's like a little luxury bus station but um pbi is an easy airport to get around to you know and so it's um an easy connection it's growing it's growing easy to get to
0: I mean, if I had a choice between PBI, Fort Lauderdale, or Miami, Miami wouldn't even be in the mix.
5: No, I agree with you. I I, I have usually gone to Fort Lauderdale if, I've, if I'm going to L.A. for a nonstop flight or to Denver for a nonstop pl- flight. But I have recently started to go out of PBI for those things just because and connect in Atlanta, just because of the ease of the travel, and it's only 10 minutes away.
0: And you really want to connect in Atlanta? Huh?
5: I really want to connect in Atlanta, only wow. if it's early in the morning, Peter. There's no thunderstorms in the afternoon, and... You know if you get bumped up to first class you can get a bloody mary what can i tell you it's all about the drinking isn't it's it it's all about the drinking. Knew, i'm a journalist what? peter i'm a journalist <laughs> come on no, come on is, i'll take th- you to table 26 for a signature martini it's
0: oh, the best see now we know we know what you're writing about now okay yes but yes. bottom line about the airport in the summer months at around 4 30 in the afternoon thunderstorms folks. Yes. And, problem yeah and they're going to close the ramp so what yes. you really want to do is first flight of the day
5: yes first flight of the day
0: that's right. the rule that is the ultimate rule, and that, by the way, applies to Dallas. It applies to Miami. Mm-hmm. It applies Atlanta, Atlanta, especially yes. Atlanta. Yes, and you're still connecting planes there. Okay, Jan
5: in the morning, with- <laughs> in the morning, Peter. Toto, I'm repeating. We're
6: not in Kansas anymore.
0: I'm also a fireman in New York. I've been volunteering since I'm 18 and proud to do so. But every chance I get on this radio show, wherever we go, I always like to invite other firemen and women on the show because when you think about it, they've been in everybody's hotel. They've been in everybody's house. They've been in everybody's restaurant. They know where to go. They know where not to go. And who better to be our guide to the community that they serve than the firemen and women themselves? So in keeping with that tradition, happy to to, to bring on the show Diana Maddy, who's the fire chief right here at West,
7: West Palm Beach Fire Rescue. Correct. Thank you for having me. And like me, you joined right out of high school. I did. I was one semester out of high school and started fire school and uh, by the following fall had a job
0: and let's and let's be honest here at the time you started not a lot of women
7: not a lot of women I think there were four or five others at the time
0: by the way my the chief who I report to now is a woman good things have changed well finally uh, no kidding but people don't realize you've got to go through a lot of training
7: absolutely we have uh, especially down in South Florida where all f- majority are firefighter paramedics so that's about a two-year process by the time you get all your school done
0: so when you get a fire call, you're already rolling as a paramedic, too.
7: We're dual trained on all the yeah. on all the trucks, so the, the medic truck goes with the fire truck. And you're a Florida girl. Absolutely. Born in Miami. Born in Miami. And you moved here in 2000. I did. I, I had started with the city, and I stayed down um, living in plantation uh, for another county south, and uh, just got tired of the commute. Really liked the city. I would finally decided I was going to stay in West Palm, and um, you know, after five or six years of trying to figure that out, I moved up permanently.
0: Exactly, and like my department, I'm sus- I'm suspecting a majority of your calls are medical.
7: We're yeah, we're about seventy five percent. Wow, uh, medical. Yep. But we, because we're an old city, we're you know founded in 1894. We still get a fair share of, of fires. So.
0: Exactly, and now you have another visitor named Donald Trump absolutely and you're out there at the airport too i'm sure
7: well we have a different role because they basically come through our city so the the county fire department takes care of the landing and the and the um the island fire department town of palm beach takes care of his residents but we're the first do hazmat team uh we're about a mile less than a mile away from mar-a-lago so we do a lot of training with the secret service and interaction with all of the other advanced teams
0: so you're first responders to the to
7: mar-a-lago yeah, yeah
0: exactly How's the fire code at Mar-a-Lago?
7: <laughs> we outstanding.
0: Thank you very much for that political answer.
7: Uh, I will note that yeah. they do have some sprinklers in some unique places. Well, you know um. what? That's an important thing for people to know as travelers.
0: I and maybe you'll disagree with this, but I don't think you will. I tell all my friends: you want to go somewhere, you want to go on vacation? Great, stay below the sixth floor. That's number one. Number because most fire departments really can't effectively fight a fire above it. And then second of all, ask ahead whether or not that place was grandfathered in on old codes or whether they're properly sprinkled.
7: In, in South Florida, we're going through that. We're in the state of Florida. We're going through that right now with, um, with the sprinkler mandate uh, that was, that was um, supposed to have gone in numerous times. It's been you know, put off by different governors and, and actually— um, Why they, would you put it off? It's such a no-brainer. It's because we should have started it thirty years ago. Yeah. The homeowners associations, condo associations don't want to pay for the the upgrades. Yeah, until they have a fire. We have thirteen unsprinklered high rise buildings in the city of West Palm Beach and we're working to you know, working with their boards and things like that and you the know, uh, associations to get it rectified. When we think of
0: that terrible fire in England, the Grenville the Towers, Grenville, yeah. They all talk about the cladding on the building. No guys, there was no sprinklers in the building. None, nothing in the public rooms, nothing in private residences. They didn't have a chance.
7: Right. That's a that's a dangerous situation when you combine lack of sprinklers with flammable materials. It's not good.
0: You know, we had the fire chief in, in South Lake Tahoe on the show when mm-hmm. we were up there and he's pulling his hair out because the way the, the the codes work there is if your grandfather opened up a hotel and then he gave it to your father, who then gave it to you, as long as the ownership hasn't changed, you're not required to retrofit. There's, if, if a, grandfather-
7: there's a law on the state of Florida that that requires this retrofit, but they gave them so many years and it, like i said it's just been kicking the can down the road so um after the grenfell t- uh grenfell towers t- fire oh, geez, say that three that times is, right? i can't you just did i helped you out it's okay <laughs> um they finally um kind of drew the line and, and they're going to adhere to it yeah you got to do
0: that but but if you're going to be a responsible traveler at you have no loss of asking that question no, no points will be deducted from your final score to say hey listen is your is your hotel or your resort?" properly up to date on sprinklers right and the same thing for smoke detectors you know the smoke detector technology when it used to be in hotels in the years ago
7: none of them worked because people would steal the batteries, the batteries they'd out. steal them or they smoke under if they want to hear the beeping
0: exactly either way those batteries weren't there so they were t- completely useless but today these are hard sealed mm-hmm. uh 10-year batteries
7: 10-year carbon monoxide
0: everything and if you don't have one in your house you're an idiot you could say that i just did good job okay good that's what you got to do so what's your biggest challenge here in fire protection
7: our biggest challenge here in fire protection i would say is just keeping up with the pace of growth um, that our city is facing we are uh you know while our overall fire calls are down um, other things that are associated with it are up such as you know the inspections that have to go on and and the number of buildings um that are that are having to be inspected every year by our fire prevention bureau is last year was our highest ever we did um, Over 7,000 inspections and and over 2,000 plane reviews.
0: Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot. And how many people passed?
7: I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) know. Our goal is to get them all to pass. Exactly.
0: It's it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. Now, I have to ask the obvious fire department question. Where do you like to go to eat?
7: Oh, we have a lot of good restaurants Give me in breakfast. West Palm. Breakfast, Give me breakfast, breakfast. I like to go to Joe Bistro. It's, it's a little uh, kind of Hawaiian theme. Little um, they have fruits, vegetables, like acai bowls and avocado toast. Uh, you know, oh, millenni- gee, what an original millennials idea! Millennials yeah. love the avocado yeah. <laughs> toast. That's what I heard, anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's rumor. No, I am not a millennial, but I like the avocado toast. You're just trying to down with it. Uh, yeah. you know. Okay, and lunch? Lunch? Uh, there's a little restaurant. It's it's actually Oriental Market. It's on South Dixie. And they have some chairs in the back. It's a really, uh, you wouldn't know it's there. You'll drive right past it. But excellent Thai food. A hidden gem. Hidden gem. And dinner? It depends. I'm kind of split on dinner. So if you want to go a little on the more casual side, the Brass Ring Pub in North Palm Beach, which is, uh, you know, garlic chicken wings, uh, really good burgers. So a Swiss mushroom burger. And then if you want a little nicer, go to Okeechobee Steakhouse.
0: And where will I find you?
7: Which day of the week? <laughs>
0: It's steak night.
7: All right, we're you. going to Okeechamp. I, steak I
0: knew it. I knew it. Diana Maddie, the fire chief at the West Palm Beach Fire Institute.
3: If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on
2: with another airline, we really don't care.
0: My next guest, not from here. She's a Michigander. Uh, but she came here right out of college, so she qualifies now almost as a local. And she works at a place that I encourage you to visit every time you come, because if the name doesn't make sense, it will once you get there. It's the Flagler Museum. And, Allison Goff, welcome to the show.
4: Thank you so much for having me. It's been It's a pleasure to be here.
0: The name Henry Flagler has is embedded in the history of this county and in the history of Florida. Absolutely. I mean, forgetting just the railroad, right?
4: It's Just the railroad, you'll see his name and, and hear about him from Jacksonville all the way down to Key West, and there's so much more to the story.
0: Well, tell me so much of that story, because you've got, the museum itself was once his house, wasn't it?
4: That's right. Uh, the Flagler Museum um, has been around since 1959, but the house that we are in, Whitehall, was built in 1902. It was a private residence for Flagler and his wife, Mary Lily Keenan Flagler, uh, between 1902 and 1913, when he eventually passed away.
0: And then converted to the museum
4: well eventually converted to a hotel for some time and then converted to the museum that's right
0: and what am i going to find in this museum other than pictures of trains
4: well uh you will find the most marvelous rail car absolutely so please come and see that. this is the private rail car that's a private rail car it is a jackson and sharp rail car uh, outfitted with all of the appointment that you might expect for the time
0: i have to tell you that most people don't realize that in train sightings and rail sightings all around this country it, the major train stations like Union Station in Washington, D.C., Penn Station in New York, there are still personal, private rail cars. And up until recently, this just changed. Up until recently, uh, Amtrak allowed them to be pulled behind Amtrak trains so the people who own those cars could literally go across the country, entertain their friends in total style. That's right. Those days are ending.
4: Those days are ending. Flagler uh, was certainly living that life with his own rail car. In fact, he had a couple in his own personal collection, and that was in that time the way that they traveled, in, in style at least.
0: And you're talking about maybe six people to a car, and your own personal chef, your own personal butler. I mean, you were you were styling.
4: You were styling, yeah, absolutely. We have built the Flagler-Keenan Pavilion around rail car number 91 to protect it from the element and to allow the museum to, to protect it and preserve it for all time. Um, and we had to go through a pretty um, lengthy restoration with that rail car because the condition that we found it in was certainly not in style.
0: Ah, How long did it take you?
4: Uh, Well, I would argue that we're still doing it on a daily basis. (laughs) I think all collection objects like that uh, live a life every day where we have to protect and preserve and conserve.
0: Now, other than the rail car, what's the biggest surprise awaiting me in that museum?
4: Well, so beyond just pictures of rail cars or tours of insides of rail cars, I would say that uh, there's a lot of surprising elements to the tour inside Whitehall. Uh, our Grand Hall is where everything starts. It's the place where the Flaglers themselves greeted their guests and would have started their time with their friends and family in the in the in the building. So when a visitor comes to the museum today, they start their tour in the Grand Hall and they can look around and see. Um, they find themselves in a Beaux Arts architectural uh, mansion. It's a beautiful space that brings together the the best parts of classic architecture. So you see some Roman influence, you see some Greek influence, you see some interior um, reference to interior design reference to the European Renaissance.
0: So what you're saying is, that if Flagler liked it, he put it in the house.
4: Pretty much, yeah. I think that's that would be the impression that a visitor would get as they're touring through. And one of the most important parts of the grand hall is all of the symbolism that it can be understood from the pieces in the collection, especially in that space.
0: And what are the pieces in the collection?
4: Well, uh, I would say as a historic house museum, a lot of what we have are the fine art collection that they collected between 1902 and 1913 in that space and throughout their life as well. Um, We have lots of paintings. We have lots of sculptures. We have a beautiful uh, six-foot-plus clock that is a great example of the marriage of technology and art from that time period. Uh, right on display in the Grand Hall, uh, bust of Augustus Caesar is a wonderful really? symb- symbol. Symbol, uh, symbolic uh, turn toward the the turn of the 20th century. It really offers an understanding of who Flagler and his contemporaries thought they were.
0: And of course, Flagler is an oil guy.
4: He was an oil guy. Yes, before railroads, he was an oil guy, partner with. He Johnny made all Rockwell. his money in that. He did absolutely. He was a, a co-founder of Standard Oil and made quite a bit of money in that, and allowed him to have a second career in Florida as a developer of land and. And the train. In industry.
0: And the train. Absolutely. Where is that? Where does it, the, tra- the tracks are still there or not?
4: Well, the Florida East Coast Railway is absolutely still in operation. In fact, here in Florida, especially in the Palm Beach County area, if you find yourself at a railroad track uh, waiting for the, the train to pass, you're probably going to see the emblems of the Florida East Coast Railway. Really? Absolutely. Riding along in my automobile,
1: my baby beside me at the wheel. Cruising and playing the radio with no particular place to go.
0: Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre, so, check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. We're coming to you from the Cultural Council of Palm Beach. Great history in this building. Goes back a long time. And uh, joining me now is the President and CEO of the Cultural Council, Dave Lawrence. How are you, sir?
8: I'm great. How are you? Welcome to Good. Palm Beach County. Well, well and, and welcome to you. You've only been here 10 months. That's right. Brand new. From Indianapolis. From Indianapolis. Big change. A big change yeah
0: in a lot of ways, yeah I mean, I mean, my question is what brought you here other than this, and what keeps you here?
8: well, uh the incredible weather and the cultural community both brought me here and keep me here. Um, I have worked in uh the local art service agency biz for about thirty years, and uh came aware of the cultural council, did a few grant panels for them and uh, then moved down here to take this job.
0: Now, this council was established, what, about 41 years ago? Back yes, in 1978. 1978. Yeah. Yep. And it's gone through a lot of change.
8: It's gone through a lot of change. Uh, the local arts service agency across the country has. The easiest way to think about the work we do is sort of a chamber of commerce for the arts. So everything we do is designed to lift up and support professional artists and cultural organizations of our of our county.
0: So you're sort of an operational clearinghouse.
8: Yeah. That's a way to think about it. We give funding, um, we provide a lot of support through marketing, cultural tourism activities, um, and work in arts education and um uh, supporting artists through exhibitions and performance opportunities.
0: So if there's a museum down here, you're working with them. That's right. And if there's somebody who wants to start a museum down here, you're working with them. That's exactly <laughs> right. So how many museums are we actually talking about? Um, there are probably, gosh,
8: well over 200 organizations in Palm Beach County. Um, and we've got one of the largest counties in the country. It's, I think it's the largest east of the Mississippi. So there are cultural venues uh, as far west as Tequesta down to Boca Raton.
0: And for you, being the newcomer that you are from Indianapolis, what was the biggest surprise for you about this arts community? You know, I, I think it's the depth and the quality of the organizations
8: that are here. I'm, I've am i been pleasantly surprised and sometimes astounded at the level of um, quality of the organizations and the, the cultural venues down here
0: are just absolutely fantastic. Now, this is the, what the 27th Wealthiest place in the United States, it's up there. It's up there, mm-hmm. and you're getting support from those from those rich folks.
8: We are. They uh, they are very supportive of the cultural community, um, and there's a lot of uh, private philanthropy down here that really helps um, all the cultural organizations uh, reach all their audiences. So you're not begging too much.
0: Um, I wouldn't say too much, but there's but there's begging involved. <laughs> there's begging involved. <laughs> uh, what's been the biggest surprise for you in terms of the fundraising? to be able to support the arts.
8: You know, it's interesting because we have a great deal of, of our residents here in Palm Beach County that don't live here full time. Uh, they live, um, a lot of them on the, in, up the- November to April. That's right. So that's a very cyclical sort of nature of, of the work that we do, um, and it creates some So if challenges. you want special
0: time alone in a museum, Summer's a good time to be here. Summer's
8: a great time to be here. Um, There's all sorts of, uh, you can get a dinner reservation very easily. (laughs) Uh, And uh, the the cultural venues, there's a a little more elbow
0: room. There is. In terms of the, the development of the arts, what's been the biggest surprise to you in terms of things that weren't maybe happening in Indianapolis or maybe not even happening in New York?
8: You know, I, I, I mentioned the cultural venues earlier, and I think that's really key. There are 31 organizations right here in Palm Beach County that are going through um, capital expansion programs. Um, the one that is the biggest and just opened is the expansion of the Norton Museum of Art. Yeah. That is absolutely phenomenal. Major renovation for them. Major renovation, and there are 31 other organizations that are in process of doing that right now. So um, the venues have, have been just a, a, a real eye-opener for me.
0: And to what extent? I mean, you, know, you talk about any community that depends on airlift or infrastructure and highways. Mm-hmm. You now have the Bright Line. The Bright Line is a game changer
8: for South Florida. Um, you know, we're the train. We're, the train, absolutely. High speed rail between connects uh, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale, and West Palm Beach. And uh, they're building a leg up to Orlando right now. Um, but it's, it's really just shrunk South Florida um, that you can get from here to Miami in an hour. Um, and I took it down uh, last uh, winter for Art Basel and, you know, made a day out of it and didn't have to drive in in all the traffic. It was so fantastic.
0: you're minimizing the schlepp factor. That's exactly right. That's a South Florida term, by the way, <laughs> schlep factor, brought down from the people in New York. Exactly. You understand how that works. Oh, yes. Um, but that means all of the things that you have here become much more accessible. Right. And, you know, we've even worked, um,
8: I've got an incredible marketing team here at the Cultural Council, and we've worked with... Um, the folks at Brightline and also um, the the uh, organizers of Art Basel to create a prelude weekend up here in Palm Beach County so that we can try to highlight on some of those crowds that are, that are coming down for Art Basel and show them the incredible gallery scene that we have here in, in Palm Beach County. So while they're overspending for art in Miami, we want some of
0: that here in West Palm Beach. <laughs> the overspending. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> I got it. Hey, thanks for the honesty. <laughs> What's the biggest surprise for you in terms of the community support that you're getting? Um, I, I think that it's uh, the number of
8: people that support culture down here. Um, there is an understanding and appreciation of what culture can do for the community, the, for its economic impact, and its role in tourism. So the, it is sort of built into Palm Beach County, this understanding of just how important the cultural sector is to our quality of life. Of course, but the real challenge for you is getting people out of the resorts to go see the museums. That's exactly right. You know, we compete with beaches, we compete with cell phones and Internet and everything else. So it um, we work constantly to make sure that the kind of programming that we are offering is of the highest quality and relevant
0: to today's audiences. Of course, yeah. accessibility is key. And so is price. So Norton Museum is two nights a week. It's free. Right. Right. Uh, have the other art attractions and the and the cultural
8: attractions follow that lead? Absolutely. There are free days at institutions. We just created um, and and finished a second year of a program called Mosaic, which is a month of shows, art, ideas, and culture, where uh, twenty different cultural organizations offered you know two for one discounts or whatever, so that um, folks who are a little more price sensitive can get in there and and see everything as well. So the the groups here are really interested in making sure that they are opening their doors to the widest possible audience
0: but you still got to get the people to leave the resorts
8: we do we do and you know what we're really blessed that uh, again back to the venues and the quality of the organizations there's a lot of interest in what's going on down here so that that certainly
0: helps cool deal and give me the website uh palmbeachculture.com all right palmbeachculture.com that's where you'll find everything listed that you need to know about and that's going on all the time here absolutely it's not just seasonal that's the key nope year-round in fact the best time to come down is now come on down because you'll own it that's right <laughs> exactly all the
2: world that should there be a rapid
3: change in cabin pressure oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat free of charge and to start the flow of oxygen pay a flight attendant $75.63 <laughs>
0: My next guest, happy to see him again. He's the author of The Essential Guide to America's Legendary Resort Town. Rick Rose, how are you, sir?
1: Hello, Peter. It's a pleasure to be here again with you.
0: I know. Uh, now, you are not, uh, well, I should say you are a second-generation Floridian, aren't you?
1: I know. Imagine that. It's not not very usual for this area.
0: No, usually they're coming down from New York.
1: Yeah, well, like so many Germans, they came here in the 20s. They were my grandparents, and yeah. they were farmers out in the western part of the county.
0: Yeah, people forget, you know, if people who don't know Florida... There are still cowboys here.
1: Yeah, I know, exactly. I mean, they
0: still are in the northern part of the state, right? Yes,
1: well, also down in the south, but in the center of the state. Yeah.
0: The peninsula. So, for people, look, people have this image of Palm Beach as just being Worth Avenue, you know, or or now these days, Mar a Lago, right? (laughs) Right. I mean, it's true because, I mean, you probably had more (laughs) press on Palm Beach because of Donald Trump. Than you had in twenty years.
1: I agree with you. Yeah, especially international press. It was interesting. Um, I I led some Chinese journalists around the island for a couple of days, and they said that you know Chinese folks don't know anything about Palm Beach. It was before the last president's uh, visit, and uh, the Chinese president. And it was very interesting. They have no idea anything about Palm Beach. They think it's Palm Springs. Right. So they don't really know the difference. And I asked them how many people would be listening to the program that we taped, and they said it's 700 million. I was like, wow, a few people now know about Palm Beach. They didn't know about yeah, it No kidding.
0: <laughs> well, they know about Palm Beach shopping. <laughs>
1: right, yes, and brands.
0: Did the Chinese journalists go shopping when they were here? They did. They
1: did. They did. They wanted to know all about Worth Avenue and all the luxury brands. It seems to be big interest over in China for
0: that. And those luxury brands persevere here.
1: They do. Of course, that's historical. Many of the luxury brands that we know today were actually launched here in Palm Beach. Like? Well, um, uh, Gucci, of course, uh, was uh, created in Italy, but it really became established in North America in Palm Beach. Because Aldo Gucci, the the man who made that brand into an international uh, brand, really uh, fell in love with Palm Beach and, and opened a shop here. And this is where he really established himself.
0: Wow. I did not know
1: that. And many other brands, too. So, I mean, Valentino, uh, you know, many other brands uh, that were already established in Europe used Palm Beach as the launch pad to create an image as a luxury article because it was really the best place to do that.
0: So you've been here how long?
1: Well, I was born and raised here. I know. so 55 years okay, now, see, just I, since I got, a couple of weeks. I got your age out of you. Okay. <laughs>
0: right. But you've seen all the changes, too.
1: I have. And, you know, I lived a, abroad for a long time. So uh, I, it was really interesting when you live abroad for a long time and you're going back to your hometown. You, I think you could see the changes even, you know, progress uh, more clearly because you're not in it. You're actually observing it from the outside. And so many changes here, especially. Um, the culturally, I think that really West Palm and Palm Beach have developed uh, in a direction which set it apart from other South Florida
0: destinations. You know, when you think of the art and the cultural scene, traditionally Palm Beach doesn't come to mind. Right, it, it doesn't. You Absolutely. Know? What's changing?
1: Well, um, I think uh, this year uh, and many previous years, and the Society of the Four Arts has grown into a nationally recognized institution over in Palm Beach. But the Nort Museum of Art has just simply over the decades gained um recognition and with this re-grand opening uh in February and with the expansion from Lord Norman Foster, uh it really has put that museum on the map from an international perspective. We now have German guests coming to the bed and breakfast just to go to the Nort Museum of Art because Norman Foster is such a famous personality over in Germany.
0: But for people who are visiting here for the first time and they and they come to see you and they hey Rick. What are you going to show them?
1: Well, um, I, you know, in my book, I actually wrote my b- book very much from that perspective, the must-sees and must-do's. I would send someone first at the Flagler Museum. Yep. That's where you get the basis of everything, how how it all got started. Then I would probably send them to the breakers. Then I would put them on a bicycle and make them do the lake trail on the back side of the island. Okay, let's stop
0: with that. So, we, we've already had someone on from the Flagler Museum. Okay. I've been there before. Very cool mm-hmm. place. Yes. What's cool about it to you?
1: Well, uh, I'm a historian, so um, for me it's very interesting to uh, read and hear uh, or see the historical uh, artifacts, and I love the exhibits upstairs about from Henry Flagler, so for me it's very interesting because that's for Florida history. Right.
0: And then you mentioned the Breakers, which that was his, too, I mean, at that point.
1: Absolutely. And the Breakers, again, as a hotelier myself, uh, it's a historic property. And uh, from many perspectives, it's the largest privately owned, uh, family-held uh, hotel in the United States. Uh, but just the sheer architecture, you know, this lobby where they brought in over 70 art- artisans to do all the ceilings. I mean, it's like going into Sistine Chapel there. So it's, it's quite special. Um, but also, um, the resort itself is just magnificent. If you ever get to stay there as a guest, present. I have. Oh, well, then good. For, you can do that. I mean, I can't afford it, but occasionally I have been able to to go in uh, through promotions and whatnot. They do have great summer deals. I should say it's always expensive. Those summer deals are great at the Breakers, but the beach there they have five pools. I, mean, I know it's, it's just wonderful.
0: But you mentioned bicycling, and and you know what, Palm Beach has gotten their act together now. In terms of better trails?
1: All over the area. West Palm and Palm Beach are very bikeable. West Palm is the oldest incorporated city in South Florida. It really has the old-fashioned grid system with sidewalks. It's walkable. And now they're building out the bike paths and connecting them over into Palm Beach. You can get everywhere in the city, West Palm and Palm Beach on a bike.
0: And that means you can bike from museum to museum.
1: You can bike from museum to museum, exactly. What's the most surprising
0: museum in town?
1: Probably, um, I think, in, in terms of exhibits, the Anne Norton Sculpture Gardens is quite special because it has that unique uh, combination of um, the gardens, the botanical gardens, as well as the sculptures. You know, the Norton, of course, uh, is already said, so it's not surprising, like you said, but surprising as well. The Society for Arts is quite special, um, the botanical gardens there and the sculpture gardens, but also the exhibits, the special exhibits they have going on there.
0: Now, I go back to the days Okay, I'm dating myself, but I go back to the days of JFK and Hyannisport or Richard Nixon in San Clemente, you know, when you had the the, the Hyannisport White House or the the Western White House— you now have the Florida White House down here.
1: Well, we've had a few down here, you know, so there was during the Kennedy era, there was the winter White House, yeah. uh, then also President um, Garfield was here quite a bit. We've had many presidents, we have many presidential families with descendants still on the island today.
0: Right. But in those days, they didn't have a lot of airlift. Now you've yes. got an airport that you can fly just about anywhere to and from. So what has his presence done for, 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 the, for the tourism here?
1: Well, uh, uh, quite uh, absolutely. There's no question it has raised the profile in the awareness of Palm Beach, as I just mentioned and alluded to regarding Chinese press. But I've entertained Russian press, German press, uh, press from really all over the world because they want to know about Palm Beach. So there's no question it it raises the awareness. And... At certain times of the year,
0: it raises the the traffic.
1: Yes, although Palm Beach has a limited uh, availability of hotel accommodations. So our hotels were already full during the winter months when President uh, Trump is in town. So uh, maybe other than
0: his motorcade you're okay. Uh,
1: Yes, exactly. Well, probably the rates have gone up a little bit, you know, (laughs) because we can demand a little bit more. But in general, um, I think that uh, there's no question that he's raised an awareness and then people I I find are coming here in the summer months they want to know where Mar-a-Lago is. And so that's in my book, of course. And uh, so um, it has become a bit of a tourist attraction just to drive by.
0: Of course, and that's about all you're gonna do, by the way.
1: Well, yes, but you know, uh, I I listed alluded to the must season must-dos. Number four on my list of must-dos in uh, uh, Palm Beach is actually a driving tour. Folks, locals have been doing that for uh, generations. When family comes, up, comes down from up north, they want to go in Palm Beach and drive along A1A along the ocean.
0: Rick Rose, the author of Palm Beach, The Essential Guide to America's Legendary Resort Town. Rick, always a pleasure to see you.
1: Thank you very much. It was a pleasure, pleasure being be here. Into the,
3: sky to the charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. <laughs> the charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly is $4. <laughs>
0: Joining me now, you know. before I even tell you who's joining me, I want to give you some background here. You know, there, there are people who actually believe that there's no culture south of Manhattan or west of Manhattan, and my next guest is, is, is definitely going to debunk that myth. She's the director and CEO of the Norton Museum of Art, Elliot Bostrick-Davis. How are you? Oh, thanks for having me, Peter. I mean, with all due respect, and I, I'm, I'm one of those guys who's lucky enough to travel, but most of my New York friends, with the exception of some of their iconic things they studied in high school, like, you know, the Louvre. They don't think there's anything out there. And this museum goes back a while.
6: It certainly does. It was founded in 1941 by Ralph and Elizabeth Norton from Chicago, and they had the Art Institute of Chicago in mind when they got started. And now we have five major collections of of, uh, curatorial focus. They are American, European, contemporary, Chinese, although it's got a few Asian objects. And photography. And photography is a big one. It is. But for most
0: people, I'll, I'll give you the other myth. And the other myth is people will come down to Palm Beach and never leave the resort. (laughs) Or they'll go to Worth Avenue and think they're going to get a bargain, both of which are are a mystery. But once they leave the resort,
6: they actually get a chance to see this stuff. That's right, and we have a wonderful new, newly expanded building created by Lord Norman Foster and his team of uh, Foster and Partners of London. So we have all kinds of great opportunities for our visitors to explore 12,000 square feet of new galleries, but also I think it's a very welcoming building. I love it because it opens on now onto Dixie Highway, and I think visitors feel very comfortable from the moment they walk in. They see a great room where you can work on your phone or talk to friends. Sometimes in the afternoons you'll even see older people having a nap in there but that's to me it's great that they're so comfortable they can actually no, fall that's asleep called performance art there you go <laughs> there you go. No, if somebody's napping
0: in Florida, I look at that as just part of the deal. There you go. But one of your challenges, of course, is to present gar- to, to present the art in a global context.
6: That's right. That's right. Which is what we're looking to do there in terms of really offering visitors, I think, a range of experiences. We've heard people say in the early months, you know, we've had over 100,000 visitors. Um, we're open free two days a week, which is great. Because and those two days would be? Friday and Saturday, all day. And you can come to our signature program called Art After Dark. We have lots of performances happening, bands, uh, other kinds of performances Let me on ask, Fridays.
0: wine is involved?
6: Uh, wine or drinks, if you okay, prefer. double-checking. Families are there, too. It's multi-generational, which is nice, and from all walks of life. So I think there we've heard that there is something for everyone, and we do want to present that. In other words, we have things for the sophisticated. We have also for those newly, newly walking into our museum. And I think one of the great additions I love is we have this gallery for our school partners and educational partners in the community who present their own works. And they're given on the second floor uh, in the Martin Gallery, right outside our studios and educational centers, they're given this um, great space to show their work and to feel from young ages really empowered there, I hope.
0: Now, you're not a Florida girl. You're a Manhattan girl.
6: That's right. I grew up in, uh, I grew up on a different island in Manhattan.
0: Yes, you did. What brought you down here?
6: really this opportunity to think about the Norton as a leading national museum and and if we're nationally leading i think then we're leading in an international context as well and by that i think it gave me a chance to think about the Norton as a laboratory where we could take a look at some of these major problems that are facing art museums how do we engage our visitors with how do you collections be how do we be relevant how do we think about changing uh, audiences you know meaning that our demographic here in south florida is One that's rapidly becoming more diverse in the next decade. We hear there'll be a 45% increase in our Latinx community, and we want to be ready. So we're getting started with a Latin American show that we've... Uh, we'll be hosting this October. Um, it'll be from the collection with a very few loans but we hope that that makes it clear to our audiences that we're anxious to really continue in this in this vein and we will be. And of course there's the age demographic too. Very much and you know interestingly more and more younger people are moving to Florida. We keep you know we think of people, others think of it as an older which it is many sophisticated older people but the eight, 18 to 34 is rapidly increasing in terms of people moving here with families and just because they're professionals or looking to be part of the community here in South Florida. And how often are you rotating the exhibits? We are looking to regularize roughly about a 14, 15-week run for our special exhibitions, but augment those with other smaller, we call them spotlight exhibitions in galleries that are about 1,000 square feet. And we hope that the whole will be greater than the sum of the parts. So we're beginning to think about how we can program in a smart and strategic way so that our visitors will really get a multifaceted experience. So what do I mean by that? Well, if we're thinking about a time as, a, as an organizing principle, let's say, we could 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 take on works that deal with the seasons or later artist works or an artist that may have looked at a single model a place or an object let's say over time so we'll think about ways we can expand people's thinking around a particular subject and we're just working with the team now on what those subjects will be but
0: then of course there are your signature pieces that don't move at all they say what's the biggest wow that you've got
6: Right now, I like to think that our welcoming wow is the Klaus Oldenburg and Kuzi van Bruggen typewriter eraser scale 10. And the reason I love that is that... That's I, the old round typewriter eraser? Yes, it oh is. My God. And so you have to come and see it because you know what that is. I do. Uh, but most people under the age of 50 have no idea what that is. I tested this I out. I still
0: have typewriter ribbon. There we go. <laughs> You've not been down here that long, have you?
6: No, just since January. And so we're beginning to learn about the Florida summers, and we're looking forward to the rest of the year.
0: So you're surviving the Florida summers.
6: Yes, so far. Good. good.
0: We were just talking about the Klaus Oldenburg Typewriter Eraser. For me, it brings back memories. For other people, it's brand new to them. They've never seen one, right?
6: That's right. Most of our group under the age of 50, I have uh, two sons, and I tried it out with my younger son who's in college now. And I said, what do you think that is? And, you know, of course, he came up with the idea of a wheel and some sort of brush attached, which, you know, (laughs) looks like an artist's brush. Or I like to think it looks maybe even like a palm tree. But he had no idea what it was used for because he's keyboarded his whole life.
0: Well, I will tell you this story. I worked at Newsweek for many, many years, and I had the big royal manual. And you had to thread the ribbon in and hit the return key. And when I left the magazine, I asked if I could buy the typewriter because I knew it had significance, right? And it weighed a ton. And it was a manual. It wasn't a portable. So they sold it to me for like 50 bucks. And I put it on the shelf as an art piece. Cut to many years later, my mom passes away. And as you do in these situations, it's going to take you six months to go through their stuff. And I'm going through her stuff. And what do I find? A completely pristine case of royal green, because she loved green ink, royal green typewriter ribbon. Oh, fantastic. So I said, I got I, I to do this. So I opened up one of the ribbons. I dusted off the typewriter. I opened up the top. I, I threaded the ribbon. I hit the return cable lines. I put some paper in, and I tried the top. I hurt myself when I tried the top, <laughs> because I forgot how hard you had to hit those keys. Yes. Today, you were just touching little, little keyboards. Right. It was, it, oh, and, and my staff had no idea what I was doing.
6: Of course. No, they no. probably thought you were a little crazy at that yeah, point. I,
0: I told them this was basically, you know, Cro-Magnon texting.
6: That's right. Yeah, that's, and nobody really knows why a keyboard is laid, laid out the way it is. I mean, it was really laid out because of the early typewriters to have ASDF, JKL, semicolon. So most people have no idea if you ask them why it's the that way. By the way, I
0: failed typing class <laughs> because I wouldn't do FFF space, DDD space, JJD.
6: <laughs> I just, I type with two fingers. That's funny. But you yeah. still remember it, which is fascinating. Oh, I remember, remember, I, it I it remember the trauma organizes. of it, Yes.
0: yes. <laughs> So other than the class, oh, so beyond
6: that, we have so many favorites. I think what's really exciting for the Norton is how we've placed art in the garden. So we have now this thirty-seven thousand square foot sculpture garden that was formerly a parking lot, and I do think this is one of the great features of South Florida that people can think about art, architecture, and the garden. In fact, the Nortons originally set up the building designed by Marion Sims Wyeth in that way, with a central courtyard garden and then galleries around it. But you've already
0: had you've always had the, the garden.
6: We always had the garden. The first. Garden, but this new garden has been designed by Lord Norman Foster. So it's his first garden; it's his only garden that we know of so far anywhere in the world, and, and it's he right here in Florida. There, and and we do have small rooms; they're called of sculpture, where the plants and the sculpture are designed to be harmonious with one another. And in fact, uh, Mr. Norton's second wife, after his first wife died, his second wife Anne Norton. Uh, was a sculptor herself she came to the to south florida to originally teach sculpture at the school and i think he himself ended up through her perhaps but with a great flair for collecting sculpture
0: i think we'd all agree that palm beach is the home of the sick and wife
6: <laughs> well, and that I'll could leave be no that comment. could be an
0: entire display at the museum.
6: You know? uh, well, second wives. What do you think? Maybe so. I think we we want to make sure. I'd have to think about that because I and we have make some sure very the first generous. First really gone away. <laughs> well, we have some very generous benefactor, but at at our museum, it had a great impact. I think yeah. on the sculpture and the prevalence. I do think of Anne Norton placing sculpture in a garden. You can still go visit her home today with her many sculptures that are out of doors, and I think that influenced a lot of the collectors around here who do that. It inspired them. Inspired them very much so i think she had a great flair for that and she was in places like mexico city where it's very indoor outdoor in terms of how you look at art and sculpture
0: exactly and you don't have the weather issues that much here i mean you can actually That's right. do that display
6: yes you can
0: what's the biggest surprise
6: Oh, we have such a great team. That's been a great, um, really welcome surprise. And we have, um, you know, people would say to me in the Northeast who are a bit more perhaps snobby about it, why would you Elitist, be leaving? Yes. perhaps? Yes. Um, why would you be leaving, you know, Elliot, this great platform at the Museum of Fine Arts Boston? Of course, I have a great team there. And in fact, we have a great team here of former um, MFA graduates, uh, Cheryl Brutvon, our lead curator of contemporary art, director of curatorial affairs. And we have another colleague from uh, MFA Boston and American, uh, Ellen Roberts. So so, you know, it's a, it's a great time to be here. I'm very, very excited and honored to be here. And you're working with the schools, too. Very much so. We're um, extremely pleased about a new pilot for second graders with our uh, five of our many schools in West Palm Beach, but five that stepped up, and we'll be looking at art and literacy through our collections with them.
0: I will tell you this. One of my greatest, most memorable experiences was when I was seven years old in second grade. Uh, I, I grew up in Manhattan. I went to PS6 Public School in mm-hmm. 82nd and Madison. I know where it is, near the one Met. One block from the Met. Mm-hmm. We went, every other lunch, we went to the Met at seven you.
6: years old. That's fantastic. Oh, my
0: God. Chicago,
4: Fargo, Minnesota, Buffalo, Toronto, Winslow, Sarasota, Wichita, Tulsa, Ottawa,
3: Oklahoma, Tampa, Panama, La Paloma, Bangor, Baltimore, Baltimore, Salvador,
4: Amarillo, Tokyo.
2: No on second thoughts, let's not go to Camelot. It is a silly place.
4: All right. I've been everywhere, man. Across the deserts, bear I breathe the mountain
0: Travel I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. Well, my next guest is essentially a local since she Charleston moved here, here when she was six eight, months eight, old. Local. Local. <laughs> Can't get more local than that. And twenty-six years ago, she was the founder and still the artistic director of Ballet Palm Beach. How are you? It's Colleen Smith.
3: I'm great. Thank you for having me.
0: Why start a ballet school here? When? Give me the story.
3: Well, I grew up in this area, as you noted, and um, I had to move away when I was 16 to facilitate having a professional career, so um, I ultimately settled back in Palm Beach County and started teaching and decided 26 years ago, you know, there's, there's a way to do this that really serves the community, and I guess that's why.
0: And was there a willingness in the community for it?
3: Yes, absolutely, absolutely.
0: Okay, so I gotta ask this question. So what do they know about ballet?
3: Palm Beach County? Yeah. They're, they're learning more every day. But what did they know back then? Palm Beach? Not much. <laughs> no, there was a professional company here when I started my school. And um, my, the, the reason for starting my school had nothing to do with starting a professional ballet company. It was about serving kids and making sure they were trained well. That was all.
0: And how, how old are they, or I should say, how young are they when you start exactly.
3: them? Exactly. Um, we used to only start them when they were four, which al- already seemed like...
0: Four? That's pretty were, young. Yeah,
3: pretty young. Now we start them when they're three. <laughs> we want to get a jump on it. It's like preschool, you know? Right, yeah. Parents are registering kids I, like
0: I, I can imagine this little three-year-old going, Daddy, what's a plie? Yeah, well,
3: yeah. they find out they as find soon
0: out as they quickly. come in the door. <laughs> well, you know what? The younger you start them, the more limber they are. The, 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 well,
3: the... The more exposed they are to what we do, I don't know. The more
0: willing they are to accept it. Yes,
3: exactly. It's it's a culture thing. You want them to be cultivated to be ballet lovers, not just ballet dancers.
0: And you're also doing a lot of outreach.
3: Lots of outreach. Explain. Um, I think because I grew up here and I want students um, students in our school system, students and young children to be exposed to this um, and a lot of them can't walk in my doors so how do I reach them a lot of outreach that's how we do it we work with the boys and girls club of Palm Beach County we work with the Palm Beach County library system we do something called ballet by the book where we interpret children's literature you know like preschool books as dance and we take it into the libraries read the book present the piece Um, it's pretty cool
0: but your history is amazing because you've taught ballet. I mean, if I go, if I went down this list, I mean, you taught ballet in everywhere from Kansas City to Cleveland, and of course the Joffrey. Yes. Wow. Why Palm Beach then?
3: Because this is my hometown. You came back. I came back.
0: You came back. And who's your oldest student?
3: Oh, we have a dancer in her late seventies at the ballet school. So. Now. That's you, impressive.
0: That's listen. I'm lucky. I wake up in the morning. This uh-huh, is good. Uh huh. What? performances do you do for the public
3: oh um well we do the nutcracker every year
0: i knew it you knew that was can can i be a toy soldier no okay thank you
3: (laughs) (laughs) you might be able to be the grandfather
0: okay this interview is now over
3: (laughs) (laughs) but we do that and we have a series of performances we do every season so this season we're at the rinker playhouse to start off our year and um then we do the nutcracker at the kravis center
0: and that's always in december
3: no We start actually this year in November because it's Thanksgiving weekend at the King's Academy. And then um, the next weekend, first week, full weekend of December at the Kravis Center, Dreyfus Hall.
0: And what's your favorite ballet that you like to perform Romeo and Juliet. Why?
3: The music is amazing. It's a Prokofiev score. It's phenomenal. The story is fabulous. And I, I guess I'm a sucker for romance. And... Drama. Lots of drama. <laughs> Romance
0: and drama. Yes. Drama. And you know, you mentioned Prokofiev. I, I learned how to play piano on, with Prokofiev. Ah. So that was, uh, and he wasn't easy to play.
3: No, not at all. This season we're doing Cinderella, which is also Prokofiev score. And um, sometimes, sometimes yes. people don't particularly like it. But his ballets <laughs> are fabulous because the... You can almost hear the story. You know which characters entering the stage. You know it's he's it's an amazing score.
0: You, you mentioned characters entering the stage. Ballet is not just in theater though.
3: No. Ballet is very physical. It's not just about the artistry. It's also it's combines athleticism and Yes, artistry. but I'm talking
0: about where people can experience it, where they can oh, see it.
3: Oh, where they can see it. Yeah. Oh, it's everywhere. We do it in the libraries. Sometimes we jump out of vans and do it in the parks and on the street. And so, but, oh,
0: so we're calling that drive-by ballet.
3: We're calling it flash ballet.
0: <laughs> Unexpected.
3: Unexpected.
0: That's the way to do it. Yes. So you actually stop traffic.
3: We have stopped traffic, yes.
0: Unbelievable. And are the performances free?
3: The performances that we present at the libraries, and uh, yes, that we flash everybody. <laughs> 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 Those are free. There's lots of free, but not at the theater and... Because you soon. gotta be
2: right. Uh, You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world.
0: If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free
4: Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most-watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.
1: Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan
3: family killings early and ad-free on Wondery Plus starting May 1st.